Our scripture reading for this second week of Easter is taken from the Old Testament book of Job, the 19th chapter, and we hear these familiar words beginning with verse 25. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. Please be seated. Today is April 12th, and I'd like to read for you a short list of the famous people who have died on April 12th. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, only president to be elected four times to four terms. Clara Barton, Sugar Ray Robinson, great boxer. Joe Lewis, another famous boxer, considered the greatest athlete of his generation. Jonathan Winters, famous comedian, too old for you guys. Tavares Jackson, 10-year career as an NFL star and played for the Vikings, died at only 36 years old. How many of those individuals in the long list that goes on, how many of those people would have been surprised if you told them a week earlier that they would die on April 12th? How many of them would have been shocked and stunned to know that that would have been their death date? Death doesn't really care about who we are. It doesn't care about what your status is in life. It doesn't care about how old you are doesn't care about how popular you are or how much money you make or how much education you have, not even how much your health, how good your health is. There are many different ways to have our lives come to an end. And Satan would like to have us live in the delusion that we don't have to be concerned about this, that it's something that's so far away from you in your life, especially when you're in college. For goodness sakes, you've got decades and decades to live. You don't have to worry about this. I remember when I was in college, I didn't think a whole lot about dying and leaving this life. It's easy for us to kind of live in a delusion that, that it really doesn't hit us very much in our, in our generation. But every once in a while, God kind of reaches down into this world and plucks somebody from this life a little bit unexpectedly, maybe to kind of wake us up. Maybe to just remind us and, and keep us focused on the fact that, that we need to keep our spiritual house in order through faith in our Savior. Not too many weeks ago, I sat back about nine rows with my brother, sitting right next to me, talked to, us, talked to me after chapel. Less than two days after that, he was gone, completely unexpected. God does this every once in a while to keep us vigilant, to keep us aware of the fact that that this life isn't just going to keep going on and on. Job probably was thinking that any day he could die. Job was well aware of the fact 
of death in his world and life. He had just lost many of his family members. His, his own health was horrible at the time. And uh, he was probably thinking of himself being at death's door. We don't know particularly how old he was during all of this. And yet, the words that we have in front of us that are so familiar to us give such tremendous confidence when he looks at his own possible upcoming death. And he, he really deals here with some of the great questions of life. Who is God? What does God think of me? What's going to happen to me after I die? Those are questions that every human being asks herself or himself. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Notice he doesn't say that he will live, but he lives. He uses the present tense here. Even at the time that Job is writing these words, which may have preceded Moses, we don't know exactly when the book of Job was written. Could have been as long as 4,000 years ago. But he speaks of the Son of God as a living being even at that time. And he says, at last he will stand upon the earth. He's pointing to the final day of the world and the final day when Christ himself, the great judge of all, will return and actually again stand here upon the earth. And he gives a very interesting title for Jesus. He calls him Redeemer. It's how it's translated for us. It's a, it's a very unique Hebrew word, the word that we have translated Redeemer. It, it means someone who steps in to help someone who can't do something themselves. Somebody who has to come in order to sort of rescue or take care of someone. It's, it's sometimes used in, in battle to describe someone who steps in to, to defend a friend, an ally, uh, who is under siege or something, and to help win a war for them. It's sometimes used to describe freeing somebody out of slavery, paying their debt so that they can be brought out of slavery. So it's, it's usually the, a picture of, of somebody who steps in to, to provide a service or to do something for someone who can't possibly do it themselves. What a, what a beautiful word for Christ. Think of all of that for you in your life, okay? Think of the sins that we have that we could never make up for before God. Think of how weak our bodies really are going to be someday. Think of how we just can't even stop death from coming to us. All the things that we can't do, we're just in slavery in this world to all of that. And yet, Christ is our Redeemer, the one who comes to get us free from all of that. What a, what a beautiful word that this is. What a, what a picture of the salvation God provides for each one of us through his Son. When I was a young child, I used to think about a lot of Bible stories. Maybe you've done this too, where you try to imagine what it was like to be the person something happened to, like a miracle. And I, I used to think of the 12-year-old Jairus' daughter, or the young man of Nain, when Jesus came and brought them back to life from the dead. What, what sensation would that be like <laughs> to have been dead? And then to suddenly have, because of Christ speaking his word, to suddenly have this power come back into your body and you get regenerated and revivified and suddenly you're able to sit up again and your eyes blink and, and all of that. What, a, what an amazing thing that must have been to, to go through. Dr. Paul Kretzman describes the end of time and the, the great day of resurrection coming for believers in Christ this way. He says, 
the millions of bodies that have returned to the dust, and then I love this line, will feel the influence of his almighty power arise from their graves and join the Redeemer. That's a neat line. We'll feel the influence of his almighty power. To imagine what that's going to be like in our bodies, to, to feel that, that divine power and influence regenerating life inside of us. And the very skin that Job at one time had covering his body in this life, he says, is going to again cover his body in a glorified way. The body that has been stripped of all of that through the process of decomposition, that body will be given back to you, but in a much greater state than you ever knew or could know about here in this life. Then listen to this line. He says, my own eyes shall see him and not another. I remember again as a child kind of wondering about what, what will it be like when we come back to life again from the dead? Will we be a a different person? Will it be kind of like a, another version of me that I can't really relate to, that it doesn't even really feel like me? Notice what he says, my own eyes shall see him. And he underlines it, he says, not another. It's not going to be another person. This is you, except it'll be you without all of the, the, the plaguing problems of the fall into sin that weigh on us right now. That'll all be gone. Just think how amazing this is going to be. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah appeared next to Jesus and began conversing with him. And the disciples, still amazes me, recognized them. These weren't different beings. These were the, the very Moses and Elijah that had, had been used by God as his mouthpieces in the Old Testament era. And yet here they are themselves, but now in such a wonderful glorified state. And then finally notice this in Job's words. Notice how the resurrection and understanding that he has this coming for him, notice how it changes his perspective on life and how he's able to look at his world. It's the foundation for, even though he's just going through all of this awful garbage in his life, it's a foundational joy that's just kind of underneath everything. He says, how my heart yearns within me. It's another interesting Hebrew expression. It literally means that my insides are just churning with excitement about this. I'm so excited in anticipation of what it'll be like for me to rise again from the dead that this is something that is just churning inside of me. And he says, I wish that my words that I'm saying about this could be written down, could be put on a plaque, what is a saying in your life right now that would be worthy of paying thousands of dollars for you to put on a plaque? What would be a saying that describes what you're living for? What, what is something in your life right now that is so important and so fantastic that you think it would be worth putting on a plaque? All the plaques of this world that have to do with the stuff of this world are going to be gone someday, destroyed, fallen apart. Even the beautiful plaques around this campus about our buildings and who helped to build them and the, the people who are honored by those buildings and so on, it'll all be gone someday. All the, all the honor you can get in this world will fade away. But having a redeemer that will get you out of your grave, knowing that he lives for you and will bring you to life everlasting, that is worthy of a plaque. Make it the plaque of your heart. Amen.